I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Today is Monday, October 24th that we're recording this for release on November 7, 2022. I think one of the things that I've missed the most about doing this is this projection into the future, right? <laughs> so every time we record, we know it's not going out for two weeks. So then I immediately think of like November 7th. Hmm. By then, Halloween will be over. Like all these things will have passed and we'll have to give updates on how everything went. But well, most importantly, November 7th is Election Eve. Oh, I was just going to say that. Yes. Ooh. A lot of nerves around that. Yeah. But we are also recording on the day that our first episode released. So y'all are getting this real time. It is so exciting. We love that listeners are coming back and you all are excited about the content. And we already have five, count them, five Patreon subscribers. Woohoo! I love it. Quick shout out, Alyssa, Spring, Marjorie, Ellen, and Sarah. Y'all are rocking it and genuinely made our day. I mean, so much so. We can now say that we have a podcast that makes money. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is it paid for? No. No. But we're one step at a time. We could, like, get snacks for the next time we do a planning meeting. That's exactly what we can do. (laughs) (laughs) But genuinely, like, the five of you, thank you so much for, like, jumping in on our Patreon so quickly. Thank you for just, like, being excited to be back with us because we are so excited to be back with you. And, you know, we just finished recording our next Behind the Scenes episode that they're all going to have access to on Monday, October 31st on Halloween. So they're the only five people so far that will be in the know about all the things that are going on. Like, what am I going to be for Halloween? I don't know. They do. Mm -hmm. So if you were like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I had to wait two weeks for a new episode. Go join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash nonprofit reframe, and you'll get an episode in the off weeks. And just the last little plug for that, there's three different levels. So you can pick and choose which benefits you think are fun and worth the extra dollar or two, but it's all very minimal and it all goes to help us continue doing this. So thank you. And all levels get the extra episode. Yeah. Most importantly. Yes, that's correct. All right. So we're talking about committees today. I have so many thoughts. I love this topic because first and foremost, I'm very surprised we have not covered this like in depth to date. We have not done a committees episode. Oh, even you though, went back and checked? Oh, I went back and checked. Oh, good I, for I did you. a deep dive. Okay. Obviously, we rag on committees a lot. We yeah. talk about how to make them more effective, maybe sometimes. Right. But this has really come out of our experiences, especially over the last six months, of committees that really range in their effectiveness. It's so true. And, you know, like most topics that we choose to discuss on this podcast, 
I believe this one came from a month or so ago where I sent you a text and said, committees, what the hell are they for? (laughs) (laughs) And we said, that should be a podcast episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the fundraising committees, because I think that's probably the area we have the most to say about. And there are a lot of different types of fundraising committees from events to campaigns to everything in between. Any like particular examples you want to bring up to start with? Well, and even to just take a step back before we dive into that about, okay, what are they for? I mean, when I have been involved in working with committees as a staff member and or as a consultant, they've really been formed to help with engagement, right, with the organization. So what are some of the benefits that you've seen of committees? Well, it depends because each of them are structured so very differently. You know, if you think about internal committees, it's usually about getting like work done in a more significant way than can be done, say, with a full board. Right. Or because you need additional fundraisers to help with a big campaign. Versus, it sounds like more what you're talking about, like committees that would engage volunteers, donors, just getting people more involved in the organization who aren't directly working for it. Yeah. I mean, both, even those internal committees, they do force engagement from board members, right? So, Instead of having like a board member who's just showing up for meetings and maybe not participating that much, committees are a way that you can try to get those board members more active mm-hmm. and force them to participate in a smaller group at a deeper level, for you sure. know. Mm-hmm. But then also, yes, you know, I've worked a lot with events committees over this last year, and those in particular tend to also open it up to people outside the organization and use it as a way to either engage donors, engage volunteers, just engage people in the community that you think would have an affinity to the organization, get them involved in a deeper way. And then they can be used also as kind of a stepping stone to then having them join the board, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So conceptually, I understand their significance. Mm Mm-hmm. In practice. In practice, it doesn't always work out that way. And what <laughs> and what I feel like what backfires is while, yes, it might create these opportunities for engagement, but it also creates a lot more work for the staff. A lot of work for the staff to effectively manage a committee. Yeah. Yeah. So back to your original question, I think, what was it? It was around fundraising which fundraising committees. committee. Yeah. So let's talk about event committees. Let's just let's go yeah, right in. Dive, let's dive in. Yeah. So one thing that I have noticed a shift is that organizations, like right now, mm-hmm. though this, you know, is not just common to right now, but the turnover of fundraising staff can be high. <laughs> yeah. Right. And right now it's kind of at a, a peak. Yeah, it's rough, especially along the front range. Yeah. And so the organizations don't have, these nonprofits don't have the the staff capacity to manage and plan an entire event or three events. Mm-hmm. Right? So in the past, it was like, well, we'll just get a committee and we'll put a committee together and they can, they can do it. <laughs> Oh, the naivete. Yeah, right? (laughs) 
It's hard. It's hard because the thought is like, okay, well, here's our goals and you all plan it. But I will say as an event consultant, not everybody has the experience yeah. to know what goes into large event planning. Yeah, for sure. I also feel like if we're talking about like folks external to the organization, they may not be our I should say, most likely are not as aware of some of the movements within fundraising and around events, like how folks are shifting around accessibility and equity and inclusion and creating events that maybe look and feel very different from traditional events that those folks may have attended and what they're thinking should be happening. And so in a committee space like that, it's really hard to like train people, educate them on these new concepts while also actively planning the event. Oh, for sure. Well, particularly, you know, some of these events have a longstanding history, right? We've been doing this event for 15 years and we've always hit our fundraising goal. Why would we change anything? Mm. Right? Why do Mm. we need to change? If it's not broke, why fix it? Not recognizing that What's broken, it, like, or what's a barometer of what's working or not working is not just the financial outcome of the yeah. event, right? For real. And there has, and we've talked about it on the podcast a lot about organizations more and more wanting to look at their fundraising practices, events included, if not at the top of their list, of are they in line with the values of the organization? Yes, Absolutely. So I do think that when you get somebody on a committee that is not immersed in that conversation mm-hmm. or versed in it, and they're using experiences from event planning at other institutions, I don't know, I don't know, like yeah. with bigger budgets and like different yeah. values and, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. it's that expectations misalignment yes. too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think expectations is the theme of this episode. Mm-hmm. Like from expectations of what committee members are going to do, expectations of what events are going to look like, expectations of what the organization should or should not be doing, like that setting of a collective understanding of those expectations is often at fault when we see committees that fall apart. And I just feel so bad for the staff. Because Mm -hmm. they're managing, they're attempting to manage all those expectations while still, again, being in a place of, what do I want to say? A place of, like, gratitude. Ah, yes. Right? (laughs) Yes. And that's fucked up. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll never forget I had a committee member one time who was helping me on this gala committee. And she said, you know, I go to a lot of different events. And I went to one last weekend. And when I showed up at the event, there was a really long line for check-in. And they met us at the door with glasses of champagne. Hmm. And she said, I took one sip of that champagne. And I knew exactly what type of event it was going to be. And I thought she was saying it as a positive example. I was like, wow, good on them. They're like meeting people at the door of champagne. Holy crap. And she's like, it was horrible champagne. Oh, yes. Because our (laughs) events here are to cater to the rich and famous. Right. 
Oh, my God. So and you were expect- like, I know exactly what type of donor you are based on that story. <laughs> I know. And it was like, wow, you have totally different expectations <laughs> than I do for a nonprofit event. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I was thinking, wow, that's really, I guess, kind of classy that they met them at the door of champagne. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about that, too. But (laughs) her takeaway was, like, it was really shitty champagne. So this is going to be, like, a subpar event. Yeah. Uh, Well, I have a really apropos story. Okay. And I've been muddling through this all morning and just, like, rolling around in my head to figure out how to tell this in a way that doesn't get me so angry that I can't finish the episode. So let me start off by saying this is one of my absolute favorite clients. I love working with them. I have for years and we are helping them with a very specific fundraising campaign. And we wanted to get together prospective campaign committee members to kind of talk about what the campaign is going to look like, get their feedback on some things. Luckily, we said very clearly, like, this is an exploratory session on both sides, right? (laughs) Yeah. And the luckily is because it was awful. So picture first, you've got this room and all of the staff from the organization that are there and the board member who's been helping us in the planning process, all women. Mm -hmm. My team are women. We've got a couple of donors on Zoom who are women. And then two white men in the room. And those are prospective committee members. They proceed to talk down to us to such an extreme level that all of the women, we are texting each other, like trying to figure out how the fuck to get out of there. They explained what the organization does to the executive director. Oh, my God. They explained fundraising to me. Okay. It was... It was just like the worst mansplainiest mansplaining. But my favorite part was probably, like you were saying, we're, we're trying to get that balance of like gratitude. These people have been donors to the organization. They've been board members, right? Like they've, they're there for a reason and setting expectations for what things are going to look like going forward. And also my role as consultant, like these are not my donors. Right. So I can't ruin the relationship on behalf of my client. Absolutely. So- Near the end, one of them is like, well, you should really consider naming opportunities. And this is what it looks like with this other organization I'm involved with. And I was like, yeah, so what I'm hearing from you and what we've heard from others is everybody really wants to be seen through this campaign, which is why we're going to be doing a flat acknowledgement. Every single person who donates will be acknowledged unless they want to remain anonymous, of course. And he starts to get upset. And I explain and even bring it in like, you know, we all have different socioeconomic statuses. And for somebody giving $100, is going to mean a lot. And we want them to be seen and be part of this campaign as much as you might want to. And he got so angry, like visibly angry with me. And the only thing I could think of is that he doesn't want his name listed next to a poor person's name. Oh, my. It was horrific. But the good news is, At the end, you know, we're all kind of debriefing and the client fully agreed, like, they do not need to be on this committee. Like, we put out there the kinds of work we're going to be doing, how we're going to be instilling community-centric fundraising in this campaign. They're not on board for it. They have no desire to learn or be on board for it. They do not need to join. 
So are they going to have that conversation with him? Yeah, luckily we did not even bring up like committee membership. It was just like we're in these planning stages. We're going to okay. be rolling out in January. And they have specific expertise that could be used in other ways. So we're going to tap them for that. But they don't need to be sitting on the committee and dragging the process down. So you bring up such a great, first of all, that sucks. Yeah. And I think we've all been there to some capacity. And I know how infuriating that can be because you're stifled in it, right? Oh, yeah. Because you can't defend yourself. You have to, I get it, be professional. But the part that you brought up that I wanted to emphasize, too, is now that I'm a consultant, really getting that other perspective of when you're a consultant in this you know, we talk a lot about power dynamics mm-hmm. and sometimes as a consultant, you can come in and you're going to be listened to because you're this third party that they've hired. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're saying stuff that the staff has already said, but right. they hear you because you've been kind of framed as the expert. Mm-hmm. But there's other times where you come in as a consultant and the volunteer slash board member slash whomever doesn't know why you're there because Mm -hmm. they feel like they already know it. And, you know, not to like, I'm kind of jumping back and forth because I know you were working on a different kind of campaign, but like on events committee with organizations not having internal development capacity, they've, some of them, I mean, thankfully, because I am an events consultant, have started hiring, more of them have started hiring event support, right? Mm -hmm. External event support. And so when I've come in as a consultant, I've kind of taken over either the tasks or the decision-making power that Mm. their committees were used to having. Mm -hmm. So now I'm sometimes perceived, I mean, this is kind of a strong word, but kind of as a threat, Mm -hmm. you know, of like, well, we've been making these decisions for years And who's this person who came in? And so I wonder, too, if any of that was playing out in the dynamic that you were experiencing, too, of like, well, I already know this. So they brought in this consultant, but I could have told them this information. Oh, no, I think it's because I don't have a dick. (laughs) But yeah, like I've I've seen those dynamics play out the way you're talking about as well. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Well, I definitely knew that played a part in it, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. It's forcing organizations to rethink the purpose of these committees. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And the cost-benefit analysis of it. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. is it really worth our time? Again, this is just an example, but, like, to have six people stand around a room and talk about brainstorm venues of where to host their next (laughs) event and then the time it takes for those people to then call those venues and get the information around like costs involved and what's the highest occupancy they can have and then come back and then all like talk about that again and share Uh the information that they gathered and then do the pros and cons of all of them (laughs) to then like three weeks later come up with a decision versus just asking somebody who that's what they do for a living hey what venues would hold 250 people okay here they are What are the pros and cons? We want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. I think you should go with this one for these reasons and be done. Mm -hmm. 
right? I'm just laughing because like how many conversations like that have we both been in oh my God, so many so times many. in our careers? <laughs> so many. And I get it. Like, again, I'm trying to see both sides. I get it wanting people to have a voice, mm-hmm. right? And to be able to participate. But again, it goes back to could the participation be in another way? Totally. Exactly. Like, I think that that's a big part of this is making sure that the efforts are funneled into something truly useful for the organization and the mission. I was just talking to a client a couple weeks ago, and you know, he's talking about a campaign committee they have around a fundraising campaign. And he said to me, like, you know, I just feel like we go to these things and I'm just giving them updates for an hour and they're asking me questions about our programs. I was like, well, what what sorts of fundraising are they engaged in? Like, are they having barriers to that? And he's like, well, they're they're not really doing any. And I was like, okay. So you've created a structure for some sort of fundraising campaign committee. You've told them that that's why they're sitting there. And yet you haven't actually enabled them to do the fundraising. So, of course, mm-hmm. they're just going to come and ask you a bunch of questions. Like – if you actually want to use this committee, which I think is an if, right? Like, I'm not saying that's a foregone conclusion. But if this is the way you want to do this campaign, you got to get them fundraising. Get yeah, them, what are the action items? Yeah, identifying their prospects, t- saying how many calls they're going to make, right? Like, keep, get some accountability going. Because committee members also want to do something important. Like, I don't think any of them are leaving those thinking like, yep, I did a, I did a good thing for a good cause. <laughs> right. And that's ultimately at the end of the day – whether we're talking about any kind of volunteer, but particularly like board members or committee members, they want to feel like they have helped, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's kind of like this no-win situation when they don't feel like they're being useful, you don't feel like they're being useful, but you're still going through the motions just because you feel like you should to keep them quote-unquote involved. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? What about committees where the committee members don't get along? Oh, God. Those are fucking awkward. Isn't that awkward? How about a committee that has to split in two because they can't even be in the same room with each other? (laughs) So you do the same committee meeting twice a month. Stop it. Yes. You've done that? Uh Uh-huh. It's awful. I feel like I spend a lot of time, particularly like on campaign committees, like being a cheerleader. Are, are we thinking the same? Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. keep going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just think it's so funny. It's like to the time and energy it takes to keep people like energized mm-hmm. and positive thinking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the best, too. It's like, okay, well, you've hired me because I am, quote, unquote, this expert and I'm telling you what you should be doing, and you're not doing it. You're not doing it. You're not doing it. Uh-uh. <laughs> so I don't know what to tell you if you're not getting the results you want. Yeah. Do the thing I told you to do. <laughs> do the thing I told you to do. <laughs> yes. Oh, Can I give an example of a really good committee? Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask you, is it a fundraising committee? No. Oh. <laughs> it's a strategic planning committee so it has a mixture of board and staff this is for an organization we're working with right now and they serve the low and no vision community Mm -hmm. and so as we've been developing both the strategic plan but the process we 
obviously want to make sure it's really accessible. And so we've done our research. We've reached out to like the disability office of our local community college and um, done a ton of reading and, and talked to other consultants. But this committee has also a mixture of fully sighted people and folks with low or no vision. And so every step of the process, we're able to bring to them and say, is this accessible? Does this work? Is there something we could do to help? And first off, it's been a huge educational process for me. And not just like how we do our work, but just like how fucking ableist everything is. Right. Sure. Which, you know, I know, but it's it's a nice reaffirmation. But this committee, we we did a, a retreat. And so I asked each committee member if they would, you know, lead some of the small group breakouts. And I just love this so much. So we prepped the questions in advance, decided how we were going to do it. Like, you know, we're not going to use sticky notes because the folks with low or no vision can't read sticky notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we decided we're going to use a Google Doc so that those who use screen readers can use that. And we're going to make sure that there's somebody in every group to read aloud any responses, right? Like, so we're coming up with all these ways to do things. But then the committee members who are each in their small group got so excited that they took it upon themselves to come up with like small group names. They made small group signs. They had reformatted the document so that each of them had it in a way that worked for them. They came up ready to fucking play at that retreat. It was amazing. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. cool. And such ownership, which yeah. is what we want, right? Especially in a strategic plan. We want the committee to feel like it is theirs, not mine as the consultants. Right. Absolutely. Well, I know I would love to hear from people who have participated in effective committees and find out like what they think, what it was that made it mm. effective. Mm-hmm. Have you ever? <laughs> uh oh, here we go. Ever worked with a programs committee? No, that's one committee I have not, but I have heard about them. So, in general, just a hot fucking mess. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the feedback that I've gotten from them. Unless your board has like deep ties to your mission. Yeah. And deep understanding of the programming. And assuming your programs committee is made up of board members and staff and other volunteers, it just doesn't make fucking sense. Yeah. I mean, if we're getting organizations that have more community-centered boards, maybe programs committees could be something to put back on the table. Sure. But given our current structures, they are such a waste of time. You end up with board members way overstepping because they're jumping into program spaces that they should not be in, that they don't even fucking understand. Yeah. And they just get in the way of staff. I don't think I have ever once recommended a programs committee to any client ever, ever, ever. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because you see that a little bit in every committee. Yeah. But programs is so specific. And I mean, how many people really have experience that can support that? Yeah. No. So, well, have you ever worked with a fundraising committee that worked? Uh, no. Well, I shouldn't say no. They all work to varying degrees, right? Yeah. Like, I've certainly been part of successful campaigns that had committees involved with them. Do I think that the campaign was successful because of the committee? Probably not. Were they maybe buoyed by the committee? Sure. That's fair. And I also don't want to throw, like, the baby out with the bathwater. Like, 
committees can feel really frustrating when there's like one or two committee members that aren't doing the things they say they will do. Yep. Like I just remember so many meetings. I, I had this one client and they had a board and campaign committee member who was very wealthy and very, very well connected. Like to this mm-hmm. day, you say this name in Boulder, everybody knows who you're talking about. And they refused to actually do any fundraising, but not say that. Like they would talk about it. Yep, I'm going to go have dinner with John. I'm going to ask him about that. I'm bringing Sally in next week, but would never actually fucking do it. And so we spent so much time just brainstorming. How do we engage them differently? How do we help them strategize? How do we create accountability? I don't think we ever got them to do a single fundraising meeting in the three years that we worked on that campaign. (laughs) Which is going to be a fun tie-in because aren't we doing an episode soon about why don't you want to talk to your donors? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Exactly. So I think that's going to be a great tie-in to that because it's the same vein. Like, I don't understand. Like, why just just talk to them? Just talk to them. I mean, we were even like we wrote a letter that they could send inviting them to like coffee at the new facility. Because, of course, at this point, the the whole thing's been built. Right. (laughs) Like Still waiting for them to do any of their donor engagement. Nothing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Well, we want to hear your stories. Good, bad and ugly. (laughs) Right? Well, can I say one more thing, actually? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the one thing I will say, if you are doing fundraising committees that are not chaired by staff, do a co-chair model. Yeah. Like, if you want momentum to be maintained and you've got a volunteer, a single volunteer as a chair, the minute they go on vacation, something happens in their life, everything stops. And I've had, like, entire capital campaigns that suddenly, like, just halt because we have lost the cheerleader of a chair with a co-chair not only do you have like different strengths you can pull on but hopefully you can maintain that forward motion that you're working on and progress can continue and if one of them needs to leave the committee entirely you still have somebody to maintain while you get another co-chair i love that idea and you know what you had at the very beginning talked about how we have forgotten how to do this podcast thing. Yeah. And I forgot that we actually do takeaways and like, yeah. and give like actual advice. advice. I forgot about that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sit here ragging on committees and we're just like, good luck. Good luck. Have fun with it. <laughs> so I would say I'm working with a client right now who kind of takes it to a whole nother level in they have a document that specifies the role of each, like the role of the consultant, the role of the staff yes. member, the role of the committee, Ooh, and who has decision-making power at whatever, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's all spelled out. Yeah. And so at the very beginning, everyone sits down and we go over it so that there's no questions about it. That. Awesome. We know, okay, you're in your lane. I'm in my lane. We're not stepping on toes. Everybody agreed to this. Nobody should be upset. I mean, Mm -hmm. still, you're going to have things that come up. But I have found that really helpful. Yeah. Expectation setting, accountability, having actual work for them to do that is beneficial to the organization. Action items, yes. Mm -hmm. Co-chairs. Anything else we'd recommend? There was something else that I was just going to say. Well, I think it's just, it goes back to your expectations that you just listed. But again, it's that 
if you've always had a committee for something, but it's not working, mm-hmm. like, don't just do it because you've always yeah, done it. Don't just do it. Mm-mm. Nobody's benefiting from it. Like, rethink it. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily get rid of the committee, but you could repurpose it. Yeah. And talk to the committee members, talk to the staff, like what would be helpful from a staff point of view? Mm -hmm. What would be helpful from the volunteer point of view? And maybe it's just changing their job role a little bit. And with that will come a clear expectation of what they're there to do. And everybody will feel like they are benefiting and participating. Mm -hmm. I mean, consider like a committee relaunch. Yes, You know, kind of. Scrap the old stuff, relaunch with a slightly newer name, better expectations, better accountability, all those things that Brittany was just talking about, and just, like, delineate that this is something new. Because resources are going to come and go at organizations. And so it makes sense that you might have to rethink it or repurpose it or that a role might change if that person's not there anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I agree. Awesome. Well, make sure you're following us, Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. Email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. And stay in touch because we're back. We're back. And tell your friends. Tell all your friends at your work, at your nonprofit, anybody that you know that's on a board, anybody that's a donor, just tell them all. Tell every single one of them. Every single one. (laughs) And, uh... We'll see you soon, right? Yeah. See you in a couple weeks. Bye, folks. All right. Take care. Don't forget to become a Patreon subscriber for behind-the-scenes content starting at only $3 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash nonprofit reframe. We would like to thank our sponsors. Brittany Wilson Consulting helps nonprofits raise even more money through fundraising coaching, training, and event production. Learn more at brittanywilson.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-N-Y Wilson.com. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based consulting firm working towards social good in all sectors through fundraising, board governance, strategy, and planning, and equity support. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thanks for listening.